0: So I wonder, what would you do then if the Spirit said, smile? Would you smile? What would you do if the Spirit said, speak, would you speak? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? We're going to do a little experiment before we read the text because I think to hear this text rightly, we really got to have a little joy flowing in us. And so... I want to share with you what one of the central tenets of Christianity is, is that we're all dead in sin without Jesus, but Jesus has come to us and drawn us out of sin and death. And I wonder, does that make you happy? Is it good to know that Jesus meets you here today with an offer of eternal life? To remind you that you have life in Him. To remind you that you belong to Him. That nothing can pry you out of His hands. Does that sound good? Does it make you happy? I wish I shouted about that as loud as I did about Clemson beating Alabama. (laughs) I actually pulled a muscle between my shoulder blades shouting about that football game. And I wonder, you know, where's where's that joy when I think about what God has done for me? And I find that I find it most here. So a little experiment we're going to try. I want you just to smile as hard as you can right now. Just do it. Smile as hard as you can. All them proper people that worry about being proper in church, they're all unhappy people. Don't be that. Smile. Smile. There's no room for being unhappy in the presence of Christ. We could be sad because of what we face. We can know that there are things in the world that would steal our joy, but here gathered in His presence, we are in the sheer presence of love and joy and peace. Do you notice that you feel different when you smile? Do you notice that you feel different when you, when you experience the joy of others around you in a moment when people smile together? That's what happens at big giant weddings, right? Let's hear a story about one. Reading from the Gospel according to John, the second chapter beginning with verse 1. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you've kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A guy named Robert Brerley said this about this text. He says, Sometimes the church has forgotten that our Lord once attended a wedding feast and said yes to gladness and joy. That stuck with me a little bit because I've heard a lot of them preacher sermons that go along the idea of how, Oh, woe is y'all and woe is me and we all ought to be unhappy and wallow around in despair. And maybe there's a place for that sometimes, but not today. Because today, we're in the presence of Christ. We're settled in a story about restoring joy. Because that's what was about to be taken from these people. If it got out that they were out of wine, and if it's only the third day of a seven-day wedding, not really sure what on the third day means, but that's my guess. What in the world are they going to do? This isn't like you come over here for an hour and go over there across the street for two hours like we do it. It's seven full days of partying and fun and gladness and shouting and moaning and crying and singing and doing all of those things that God pulls out of us in response to the goodness of creation. And doing them till they're exhausted. And I suspect doing them with the fuel of alcohol. <laughs> And if the wine runs out, what do the people do? They go home. I know this because I've attended a bunch of weddings now that I'm a pastor. (laughs) When the wine starts running out, people start leaving. Joy fills moments like those and something's always going to come and try to steal it. For many people, it's poverty that steals their joys. For some, it's sickness. For some, it's marital strife. For some, it's hurt. For some, it's somebody being mean to them. For some, it's not having enough stuff. There are all kinds of things in the world that would steal joy, but God clearly is a God of joy because Jesus did not refuse to restore it. Even though His time had not yet come, We learn in John's Gospel that Jesus considered His hour when He was lifted up on the cross. And even that, we're told in the book of Hebrews, He did for the joy set before Him. Even being crucified, Jesus did for the purpose of restoring joy to humankind. Let that sink in for a minute. What in the world does that mean we should look like in the world? In a world that's filled with dour faces that do anything they can to obliterate and eviscerate and humiliate their opponents. What in the world should we look like when we roll out there knowing that the gladness of God is a joyful human being? Should we walk around with long faces and dour lips? Should we look like we just ate a lemon that was ripe? One of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life, I saw my mama do. Anybody else got that kind of story? (laughs) I watched her eat a lemon one time. And I don't mean a part of a lemon, but enough of them little lemons they give you at a restaurant to equal the whole thing. And do you know she ate the peel off of that lemon? It wasn't enough for her to have that moment of putting it in your mouth and have it get you, and you just don't you smile afterward, right? She wanted the whole experience, and she would even eat the peel of a lemon. If you haven't tried that, you should do it. You'll smile after you go. <gasps> The simple things in life bring joy because God created us to enjoy those things. Have you ever thought about what it's like when you walk outside after it's rained for five months and there's sunshine? Did you feel it this morning? Did you feel how the sun was on your face and you felt warm and loved? Did you feel that? God made you to feel that. Something rained down into your life like the rain that God pours out on the mountains, Psalm 104 says, that eventually becomes wine that gladdens the human heart. You see, what Jesus did has scriptural warrant. The psalmist in 104 says that the rains bring forth grass for the cattle to keep them happy and satisfied, and it brings forth wine from the earth to gladden the heart of men and women. Over 21. Even our wedding ritual, our wedding ritual that we use in our church makes note of this when it says that by his presence and power, Jesus graced a wedding at Cana of Galilee. He showed up, and that was enough for there to be joy. But He also spread up, sped up the process of creation and turned water into wine. Now I've often wondered, when did the water turn into wine? Because we're told that they drew out water, right? I wonder if it wasn't as they carried the water to the steward, as they carried the water to their boss. If that little bit of faith that they had in them to actually reach out and draw this water out of the cistern, if that isn't when it happened. The story doesn't make that clear. But I think that part of the story does invite us to trust in God's abundance and generosity. I mean, it would have been a funny trick. Jesus could have played on them, right? Draw some of the water out and they take it to the steward and he pulls it out and said, why did you bring me water? But his mother had told him, whatever he tells you, do it. We come here today to draw water. When we come and we worship and are reminded of all of God's goodness and mercy toward us, of God's love for us, we draw that same water that turns into wine and becomes a gladness in the human heart. And we draw it for the purpose of carrying it from here to others. Sent forth to be a joyful people so that people might say, don't you see all that's wrong in the world? How can you be happy? And we can say, because I'm going to sing when the Spirit says sing. You ever had somebody nudge you? You ever been sitting at a table and somebody, don't look now and poke you in the arm? But look at that dress he has on. Or she has on. (laughs) And they poke you in the arm, right? And then when you look, they say, don't look! Isn't that how that goes? I mean, Leanne does that to me sometimes. She said, there's that that girl that don't like me. Don't look at her! Why did you tell me to look? Right? When Mary came to Jesus and said, they have no wine, She was nudging him into an act of joy. To keep the people in a glad place. To keep the people in a place of love and celebration. Prayer is a nudging of God. Of pointing out people's needs. And we're invited to that. But it's awfully hard to do if we have no joy ourselves. What are the good things in your life? What are the blessings that you can clearly see in front of you? What if you stopped being distracted by those and looked deeper at the simple things? The grass under your feet. The light that falls on your face. The taste of rainwater in a grape. And took all of those things as sacred. And let them fill your life with a joy that overflows. A joy that's abundant so that you can share that joy with others. And then you, dear ones, start nudging joy into people's life. That's what Mary was doing. She knew that Jesus could do something about what she saw in front of her. She knew that Jesus could do something, and so she said to him, they have no wine. She could have gone somewhere else. And they didn't have Jay's little store across the street like we do, but they could have gone somewhere else. She could have told someone else to run out and buy some wine, but instead she found our Lord and said, they have no wine. And then she told the servants, do whatever He tells you. Simple acts of faith that are rooting in seeing people's joy of life preserved. You know the joy of Christ. You know the goodness of Christ. You know that He is the sweetest of rainwater that falls in the world. And that rainwater is producing fruit in you. Love, joy, and peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Let it show. Don't be afraid to draw the water out from this place and take it to someone else. We're all called to nudge people to see the simple things in the world that show Christ's glory. There's a tree in the front yard of this church. It's a maple tree. It's not a red maple, I don't think, because it turns golden. Y'all know which one I'm talking about? You ever paid any attention to it? I wish it was October right now. It looks like Bob Ross planted a happy tree in our yard. It is the most glorious thing. And it's not that way for itself. It's that way for us. To fill our eyes with the glory of God. That's what God does. That's what Jesus was doing. He filled His disciples' eyes with the glory of God. A God who came and chose joy and gladness. It's an invitation to us To choose joy and gladness. Watch this week. Watch the simple things in the world and the simple things in your life for God's granting of joy. And smile a little bit. Because the world needs to see the joy of Christ in you. If you don't believe that, watch the evening news tonight. Smile and love and do it in the name of Christ. For It's in His name that I speak to you. Amen.